0: Welcome to VCR, a vintage cinema rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. I'm Blake. And I cooked him up with some fava beans and a nice shanty. <laughs> oh, that's
1: the wrong And movie. you're still on the old movie. That's right. Actually, before we get into it, I did start reading the novelization of Silence of the Lambs. Nice. Do you nice. remember how I pointed out that in the book, Dr. Lecter had a six finger and red eyes and you right. thought I was bullshitting you? Yeah. It's true. <laughs> it's right Oh, that's there. actually a thing. Yeah.
0: Wow. So I, I... <laughs> guess
1: the author wasn't pulling no punches.
0: Yeah, just really making him to a weird monster. Anyway, so we did Silence Little the Lambs as part one of our Jodie Foster series. One of, in both mine and your opinions, one of the greatest movies ever made. Yeah, we had a lot of fun with that one. Absolute pleasure to watch it. Mm-hmm. So we decided to, and, and honestly, this was mostly my pick because this is something that I was heavily interested in seeing. Uh, right. For part two of our Jodie Foster film series, we're doing the movie Contact from 1997. Mm. And you're going to give a like quick rundown of the plot in a sec here, but it's kind of like a sci-fi meets science meets political. Meets Character
1: drama... Yeah, meets meets religious
0: drama, like...
1: socio-religious commentary...
0: Yeah, this movie has a lot going on, and a lot of different uh, ideas and thoughts to juggle. Mm Mm-hmm, it certainly does, and we'll talk about how well it juggles
1: those, but... Yeah, Yeah. should I just jump right into the plot?
0: Yeah, let's get into the plot, and then we'll get into Jodie Foster, the actor, uh, and and the rest of the cast and crew of this film.
1: Sure. So we should start off by saying that this is actually based on a book written by Carl Sagan. Yes. Who everyone has undoubtedly, undoubtedly heard of (laughs) as one of the big scientific minds of the previous century.
0: Yeah, he's kind of he kind of lives in this weird bubble, right, of being extraordinarily prominent in, like, the 70s, 80s, 90s kind of thing. So if you're a kid of, of those eras, you've definitely heard of Carl Sagan, or you should have heard of Carl Sagan, even in school.
1: I think where most people know him from is from BBC did the Cosmos series back in yes, the 80s. Yes, I love that show. Yeah, where he's just standing by the beach talking about science for, right. like,
0: eight hours. The other thing of Carl Sagan's, if you've never heard it, um, it's it's really just a a quote from him called the pale blue dot mm. and the picture of Earth as Voyager 1 kind of leaves the solar system. It's maybe one of my favorite science quotes of all time. Do you have it? It's it's honestly probably too long okay. for this podcast. But it's just basically like and I'm going to butcher it right now because Carl Sagan is not only was he a fantastic scientist, but he was an absolute master with words. Oh yeah, he was brilliant. Think Neil deGrasse Tyson but a little bit more likable.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's a really good way of putting it. Apparently, um I read this that I think uh what's his name? Carl Sagan was the one who actually accepted Neil deGrasse Tyson's letter like he accepted his application into wherever it was oh cool or maybe he didn't accept it but he read his letter and said this is a good letter and he invited him to come take a tour of the campus
0: yeah yeah but essentially the pale blue dot is just it's just a a amusing over you know this little dot this blue dot that we live on and how all of humanity has lived and died on this little blue dot and how how small and insignificant it really is, and how how important it is that all of us have lived on on this space together, kind of thing. It, it's just, it's very, it's it's much more poetic than I could ever put it. Um, but it's a little lengthy for for our episode, which okay. is already lengthy enough. Um, <laughs> just know, just yeah. know that Carl Sagan. If if you don't know who Carl Sagan is, I think that's a shame. And uh, you shame really on you. Work on fixing it because Carl Sagan's uh, just a, a beautiful mind.
1: He's a really cool guy. Yeah. yeah.
0: But anyway, we should talk about yeah, the, the movie. Plot of contact.
1: Um, Jodie Foster stars as Dr. Eleanor Arroway, a brilliant astrophysicist who is considered to be kind of a quack, someone who's sort of wasting her time in the sense that she's working for SETI, this organization that is searching for alien life in the cosmos, So she's sort of ostracized by the scientific community because they feel that she's wasting her talents on something unworthy of her talents. So their funding is about to be cut and she just randomly goes out one day to listen and they are contacted by extraterrestrial life. Right. And it's, they contact them in like strange mathematic equations and it's, Most of the movie is just trying to decipher what the aliens want, how they can communicate back with them, like how to look at these equations they're getting. And
0: it's also about the consequences, right? Of of first contact on a global scale.
1: Yeah, it sparks quite a bit of religious uproar in particular, where people don't necessarily like the thought of there being a higher power that isn't the higher power we're familiar with. And that's kind of where Matthew McConaughey's character, Palmer Joss comes in. He's sort of this, I don't know, handsome, spiritual yoga teacher type guy. He's, (laughs) (laughs) you know, he's written, he was enrolled in the seminary, but then left. And then at a certain point in the movie, he becomes, I'm not even really sure what his role
0: is, but he's almost like the spiritual advisor of the white house. He's a novelist, essentially, right? Writing about spirituality, religion, and and all of that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And and that gets a little bit later in the film when you're talking about that. But essentially, like they're just bringing all these different minds and ideologi- ideological ideological uh, minds together to kind of decide what their next steps are going to be with dealing with with this contact, right? Um, yeah. So that's where he's brought in later. But, you know, there's there's an element of, of romance because he meets Jodie Foster's character very early on in the film. Mm-hmm. And things, you know, there's a spark, but things don't really happen. And then it's their interactions years later as, as the movie kind of moves along.
1: Yeah, they have a one night stand and then she very coldly brushes him
0: off afterwards. Right. But and, and part of it's you know really interesting and It's something that comes up throughout the movie too is because she's extreme side of science and he's like not a you know a religious extremist but he he very devout in what he believes in i would say he's
1: very much like a youth group pastor like yeah, just, that's a he's kind of like him. hip and cool and non-judgmental but he's very very he stands true to his beliefs and that is almost kind of the central conflict of the movie is this idea of faith versus religion
0: yeah, and with politics mixed in as well. Yeah, and it's very, it's very
1: interesting how this movie frames that conflict.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I think that you've done a, a really great job at not spoiling a lot of the film because the film takes a few very interesting twists and turns. Like I, there were some moments that I wasn't expecting to happen. Yeah, me too. Some very very big scenes. Um, it gets a little bit more heavy into the sci-fi by the end. But honestly, like from a sci-fi standpoint, I would say the first, it's a, about a two and a half hour movie. The first like almost two hours of this film, you know, everything's pretty grounded in reality of what's possible, right?
1: Yeah, it's almost like it's barely sci-fi up until the very end. Right. And even then it's kind of plausible to a point. Right, right. I mean, there's that thing that happens at the end that we'll talk about next week that sort of blows the lid off everything. But for the most part, it's very,
0: yeah, grounded. It's almost sci-fi light in a sense, which is really cool because all of the other aspects at play here I thought were very interesting and very captivating in my opinion.
1: It's very much a movie rooted in its time, too, in the sense that it's very much takes place in the late 90s, Mm -hmm. the mid to late 90s. So, you know, it's interesting seeing that. Okay, I don't know if we should save this for the next episode, so you can tell me to shut up if you want.
0: But like, (laughs) can we talk about the Bill Clinton scene? Let's save Bill Clinton until the spoiler full episode. Let's just say that Bill Clinton pops up here and there and it's very well cut into the film. I was throughout the film every time he made an appearance I was like did Bill Clinton show up to do this movie? Yeah, that's
1: I looked that up immediately. I'm like did we did the president of the United States show up on set for whatever? But yeah, no, it was it's interesting what this movie did is When the aliens are first discovered, Bill Clinton shows up and addresses the nation. And it's so seamless where you're just like, yeah, you're like, wait, is that Bill Clinton? Like, is that the president? Yeah. But they had taken
0: some archival footage of him and just sort of reworked it. Very recent footage even. Uh, But we'll talk about that when we get into the spoiler full discussion. Because it's a really interesting discussion, actually. Mm Mm-hmm. So let's talk characters and people you may know. So you've already mentioned Jodie Foster. Uh this is 1997, so this is post Silence of the Lambs. And her career has kind of had you know a really interesting trajectory. So she's a massive child star, Silence of the Lambs, you know, at that point she's writing her own checks essentially. Mm-hmm. She directs Little Man Tate, which is, you know, a little bit of a mixed reviewed movie, but I think won a couple of Oscars, actually. And then the rest of the 90s, you know, a little little bit of bumps in the road. Some ups, some downs. Yeah, like she does Shadows and Fog with Woody Allen. She does Maverick with Mel Gibson, which is a movie that I'm kind of interested in checking out at some point. Two not at all problematic directors. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then does some other kind of films that I wouldn't necessarily say... Hold up, or or you know, are remembered remembered fondly, but she does some TV acting in the '90s as well for like Frasier and the X Files, and then she does this movie, and I kind of want to ask you now. So you've got Jodie Foster in Silence of the Lambs, Jodie Foster in Contact, very different film portrayals. Mm-hmm. Which one? Which one do you prefer? Which one do you think she did better with? Which role did she do by The Wrath? Uh, Definitely Clarice. I
1: Yeah, definitely Clarice. I mean, they're very similar characters in the sense that they're women in male-dominated fields that are sort of being, you know, that she has to fight harder for her voice to be heard. There Mm -hmm. are some scenes later in this movie where her male boss is very clearly taking credit for her work. Yep. So, and like... It's almost like the same character, but in different settings. Even the the backstory with the dead parents is slightly similar too. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I didn't even consider that. Like Clarice's dead father was a sheriff and her mother had died in childbirth. And then Dr. Arroway's character in this movie was a science guy who nourished her love of science. And then he dies. So mm-hmm. she carries on his work. So... They're almost the same character in a way, but I do think her portrayal as Clarice was better, which is not to say that her portrayal in this movie was bad, but like, I didn't find Dr. Airway nearly as compelling as Clarice.
0: Which is funny because I actually liked her performance in Contact more than I liked her performance in... Okay. Yeah. I, I, I thought... I thought there was a lot of depth to her character. You know, she is the front and central focal point of the film. And it might just be the fact that in Silence of the Lambs, you know, Anthony Hopkins just absolutely steals the show. Potentially. I just, I, there's a little bit more range that's needed to play this role, I think. And I I thought she did a really great job with, with what she was given. I think that... You know, if I had to say right now which film is the better film, I would say Silence of the Lambs by a mile. Oh, yeah. But I do really enjoy Jodie Foster's portrayal in this film.
1: Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Like, there's no, like, Silence of the Lambs is very much a duet between Jodie Foster and Anthony right. Hopkins. But this one is very, Contact is very clearly her movie. Mm-hmm. Like, she is in basically every scene for the most part.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I thought it was really interesting. I think that she should have won probably an Oscar for this film. I didn't look at who won the Oscars that year, but she did win, uh, I believe, a Golden Globe for her portrayal in this one, which is, you know, like a, the Oscar light, right? Yeah, good enough. Yeah, but I thought her performance was fantastic in this one. I really, really enjoyed it a lot. Okay. Ah, that was the year of the Titanic, actually. Oh,
1: how could we forget? 1997. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Sorry, Jody. Oh, uh, what's her name? Didn't even get a win for Titanic. Kate Winslet? Yeah. Who did win that year? It was Helen Hunt for As Good As It Gets. Oh,
1: Helen Hunt's pretty cool. (laughs) I guess
0: we'll give her that one. But yeah, anyway, so... I, I thought she would be great in this one. So after this Jodie Foster's career, it kind of struggles a little bit more. Like I'm almost, I was almost kind of surprised reading about her career in, in the 2000s. Um, She, she kind of had some major bumps in the road. Uh, a lot of her films were incredibly successful. I'm trying to think of
1: movies she's even been in in the last 20 years. And I'm kind of struggling
0: yeah, she she's directed a few films. Um, none of them have been extremely highly reviewed. Like she did the Beaver, which which came out with Mel Gibson. Oh, uh, I did hear good director. things about that one. Yeah, very mixed reviews on that. But part of that also was because that was the time that was the smackdown in the middle of Mel Gibson being the worst being the worst. Yeah. So pretty brave yeah. of her, I guess. Yeah. Well, it, it came out after they had filmed it and everything. So this was at a time where they didn't just completely shut down projects uh, because the main actor was problematic.
1: <laughs> well, Hey, the flash came out this June and
0: uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. If anything, the flash maybe shouldn't have come out. <laughs> yeah. But that's the world that we live in. So there's a lot of actually other interesting actors that make appearances in here. And you've already mentioned Palmer Joss, the religious leader, played by Matthew McConaughey. That's right. Matthew McConaughey. A very young Matthew McConaughey. A very young Matthew McConaughey. Peak surfer
1: dude, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah.
0: You know what? Very charismatic in this film still, though. Like, you can see the spark of a good actor in this yeah,
1: no, he Yeah, he, no. His character was pretty good. Like... Yeah. You know,
0: like I I thought his portrayal did a lot of justice to what he was trying to do with the character, right?
1: Well, he is a religious man in real life, so I'm sure he spiritual. Yeah, yeah, he brought something to it.
0: And, you know, Matthew McConaughey is already a household name. I don't really have to talk much about Matthew McConaughey. The only thing that I will say is we're going to and we're definitely going to talk about this when we get to who this movie is for, but just keep in mind the idea of Interstellar. Start thinking about the movie Interstellar a little bit. Ooh, yeah, fair. They share a lot of DNA, and we'll, we'll talk about that and who this movie is for. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that there was the scientist who was kind of running the whole SETI program, and you know he kind of goes above Ellie's head, and you know he's always kind of controlling things, dealing with mm-hmm. all the politics. So David Drumlin, he is played by Tom Skerritt, who was a very familiar looking face. I don't know what it was. Uh, He's kind of plays a lot of Colonel and Doctor types. So he's kind of got like that kind of face.
1: Certainly got the look for it. Yeah.
0: I most recently watched the first Top Gun about a year ago, and he plays Viper in Top Gun. He's kind of like one of the instructor guys. He also is Dallas in the original Alien movie, which is pretty cool. Really? Yeah. Huh. Interesting. There's actually two actors from the original Alien movie in in this film, which is pretty cool. There's a few other kind of big actors in this. Jenna Malone plays the child Ellie. She does a really great job playing that character. And I thought that the flashback scenes of her as a child were actually done extremely well. And we'll talk about that a little bit in uh, the spoilers for sure. Cause there's a lot of technical effects to those scenes that I thought were really effective. Mm-hmm. So you may know General Malone as uh, Joanna Mason from the hunger games. William Fitchner is in this film. Yeah. I love that guy. Yeah. Kind of uh one of those that guys, right? Like he's just, you know, like, Oh, it's that guy. Yeah. He was Alex Mahone in prison break. Yeah, and he he's also in the movie Heat as well. So mm-hmm. we we talked about him before, actually. He's also in the up. very
1: first scene of The Dark Knight.
0: Yes, For yes. One scene. Yes, but, actually. Yeah. yeah, very memorable scene though. James Wood also makes an appearance here. He's got he's like one of the uh, political advisor guys who. Like a security officer
1: type guy?
0: Yeah. yeah. He's got such a memorable face. And I was trying to think of where I'd seen him last. And it was in Casino. He was hmm. also in Videodrome and Once Upon a Time in America. Those are great movies. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's he's a great film career. Um, Not necessarily as relevant in the 2020s as he was back then, but still a very famous actor. Um, of that time period. Mm-hmm. The rest of the actors, I just was gonna quickly mention, just uh, because they make like smaller appearances. Um, like Rob Lowe makes an appearance. This is pre West Wing. Rob Lowe, and he's kind of playing a political advisor. Very interesting portrayal. His accent's very strange. Ian um, Perkins, yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's kind of funny. Like, every time he showed up, I'm like, I forgot you were in this movie. Like, they yeah. don't really give him much to do.
0: <laughs> no, they don't. David Morse, the father, uh, another guy who was like, oh, I've seen him before. Angela Bassett, uh, John Hurt. And I don't know. Did you know who Jake Busey was before you seeing this film? No. I. He's the religious fanatic. Oh, the guy with the wig, the yeah, blonde hair. That's Gary Busey's son. Huh. Yeah, he was in a few very famous films of the '90s, like *Starship Troopers*, which is a fantastic film. Huh. Yeah. So I was like, "Oh, there's Jake Busey." But is Gary Busey's anyway, still alive. Yes, he is. He is actually. I also con- googled that this morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> huh. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah have some current uh, sexual assault stuff going on against Gary Busey, but uh, is anybody surprised by that? No. He's had a complicated life, but we don't need to talk about Gary Busey. Yeah, we're not here to talk about Gary Busey. (laughs) Director of the film, Robert Zemeckis. I was so surprised when I saw that. He's like kind of a big deal. I don't think his name carries the same level of respect that it should. And uh, you want to name some of the movies that you've seen of his? Because I know you've seen a few of them and love a few of them. Well,
1: let's just talk about the big one. He did Back to the Future in the 80s. He did all three of them, actually. He did. Yes, one of the biggest movie franchises of all time. He's also done one of my favorite movies, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yes, I I was expecting you to say that one as well. Great movie. Um, More recently, he's also done... He did the Beowulf adaptation in 2007, if anybody remembers that. He did
0: uh, Polar Express in that time period as well.
1: Yeah, so he must have been into that early CG motion capture stuff. He missed
0: some of the big ones from the 90s. He did Forrest Gump and Castaway.
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) So him and Tom Hanks are pretty close for a while.
0: Yeah, they actually shared a lot of films together. Um, I just brought up the three big ones, but they—I think they even had a film in the last five, ten years together. Robert Zemeckis is uh, should be a household name, and I've heard his name before, but I've never really considered him—you know—up on the pedestal of greats. He's but...
1: certainly fallen off a bit in the last little bit. Like he did the Pinocchio movie last year that. I don't think anybody liked, but... Yeah,
0: pretty critically reviled, so...
1: Yeah, and then... I'm just looking at his filmography. He also did Romancing the Stone in 1984. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, pretty cool guy.
0: Yeah, and and this is a pretty good showcase, I think, of his directorial abilities. Um, there's some really cool camera shots in this film.
1: It's kind of got that whimsical, sentimental flair at times.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially towards the end. Yeah, the vibes are, you know, similar to something like Forrest Gump. It tugs at the heartstrings, pretty, pretty good. Mm-hmm. So, who is this movie for? The obvious go-to is if you're interested in sci-fi, if you're interested in, you know, the cosmos and space. Uh, this is a fantastic film. Um, you know, it's written by Carl Sagan, one of the greatest scientific personalities ever up there with Bill Nye, the science guy. <laughs> and it's great. Like, it's it's a very interesting look at, at a realistic take on what would happen if we made contact and what would the next steps be, basically. I've
1: never seen Arrival, but I'm assuming this is pretty much Arrival, but 20 years
0: earlier. So I did, I did think about talking about Arrival at this point in time. And you can definitely draw some comparisons. So I I think there's a bit of compare and contrast with those two because Arrival's a sci-fi movie about first contact, but it's Denis Villeneuve, so it's very... Oh,
1: say no more. I know exactly what you mean.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot more atmospheric and it's actually more at its core about family than it is about first contact or, you know, like the struggles between politics science and religion kind of thing okay so i actually would say this film compares a lot more to something like interstellar being the obvious one to me mm. especially because matthew mcconaughey has a role in both films there's some elements uh to do with wormholes and and theory of relativity that takes you know it, it's applicable to both of these movies The other movie that I actually thought of as well watching this was the film Don't Look Up. Really? Don't Look Up's a lot more of a satire. Like, it's a lot funnier than this movie is, Mm -hmm. but it shares a lot of the same themes of, you know, again, the the conflict between religion, uh, science, and politics. It's just, like I said, Don't Look Up is a lot more politically motivated, I would say. Yeah and it's a satire and it definitely leans into you know a more liberal ideology whereas this one's taking a look at you know everything as a whole like it's it's taking a much broader look at at what this these conflicts are between these three main ideologies. Yeah, fair enough. You know, I I did actually like Don't Look Up um but I think that this film does that kind of struggle between those three uh, a lot more effectively.
1: Mm, okay.
0: Yeah, I haven't seen it, so
1: mm-hmm. I can't really comment. But yeah, in terms of who this movie's for, yeah, I don't know. It's it's not a traditional sci-fi movie, but no. it's more of a, how would I say it? It's more of a thinker than a shower, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it's almost like if you're interested in like character dramas, and again, that struggle between faith and science, you're probably going to have a good time.
0: I think that more people would like this film than have seen this film. You know, this isn't a film that gets talked about in like top 10 lists or a film that, you know, people bring up as one of the greats, but I had a lot of fun with this movie. I I was completely fascinated by it. I thought all of everything was super interesting. And again, like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a, space nerd so yeah all of you that. Are. Like, <laughs> i've already seen like i've watched cosmos and everything like that so i knew who carl Sagan was beforehand so for me this appealed to me a lot but like jess really enjoyed watching this and and you know that's not something that she is surprised i'm genuinely in. surprised so yeah i i had an absolute blast with this film it sounds like you're maybe quite a bit lower on the spectrum of enjoyment
1: I liked this film. I didn't love it. Um, Mm. It really came alive for me in the third act. Mm -hmm. But I did find some of the stuff... I did find some of the conflict between science and religion a bit heavy-handed.
0: I would actually say that that becomes the most heavy handed in the third act. Uh, there's one point in time when a character, there's a quote from a character. And I was like, wow, he said the quiet part out loud. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about
1: too. Yeah. yeah. So I guess to me, like I didn't mind it so much in the third act. Cause that's when everything was tying itself together. Then I was like, right. okay, sure. I get it.
0: But and, and this film being, you know, two and a half hours long, the subject matter in a sense, it's almost like an Epic and I thought Kinda, that the yeah. that the way the film ended as well is in a sense similar to an epic where there's a lot of endings um, to the film. It's very Spielbergian. It's a very Spielbergian ending. It ties a lot of things up with while also leaving you know a little bit of ambiguity, right? And I'm not somebody who generally likes ambiguity in my endings, but I thought that this one did a pretty effective job at that. That's true. You do not like
1: ambiguity, but no, no.
0: But I, I thought that I thought the implications of the ending of this film were very interesting. This is jumping ahead a bit. This isn't really a sp- okay. You can cut this out if you want later. Don't but... don't talk too much details about Act Three. I would say.
1: Let me just say I liked the final shot. The final scene is very quiet. It's just Jodie Foster, and I liked it.
0: Yes. I was just kind okay. of like,
1: cool, I'm into it.
0: Yeah. I guess the other quick thing that I'll say is that this film and and Carl Sagan uh, wanting to write this was heavily inspired by the film 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of feel a little bit of the DNA of that film and, and this one as well. So that that would kind of be the connecting piece to the past. And then, like I said, Interstellar, Don't Look Up, were the two immediate films of the present that I thought about watching this one. Um, and actually, I really want to go back and watch Interstellar. I just haven't had the time to carve out like three hours for that film.
1: Yeah, I don't think Interstellar is a movie I would watch a second time. Yeah, well,
0: and you're not a big sci-fi guy, right?
1: Yeah, that's the other caveat. I bounce off a lot of sci-fi movies, you know? Yeah
0: you know that and that's our experiences going in right so i'm very high on this film because i'm a big sci-fi guy Mm -hmm. you're you know you're you're at like a pretty good expectation level of this film like you and you had a good time you enjoyed it but it wasn't like you know an incredible like you know it wasn't silence the lambs like mind-blowing to you
1: no and we'll get into my gripes next week but
0: yeah yeah And and that's completely fair Uh, So I guess that's, that's where to leave it at is you've heard my opinion as a a big sci-fi buff. You've heard your opinion as somebody who doesn't tend to, you know, really connect to sci-fi all the time.
1: You know what this movie could have used more of? Swords. (laughs) Swords and wizards. (laughs) Then I would be much higher on it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Whereas that's something that I don't think Hollywood does a great job of. Um, But anyway. It breaks my heart every single time. (laughs) (laughs) When to watch. I think this is a really great Sunday evening film. Uh, You know, this movie has a lot of heart, and I'm looking for movies that are more character drama, uh, movies with a little bit more heart in them for my Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening watch.
1: We need that hit of serotonin before we face the next week. Yeah, exactly. yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm kind of surprised, actually, that this movie wasn't airing when i was a kid on tv on a regular basis because i feel like this movie is you know it's like a three hour shove as many commercials into it as as you need to you know get to the three hours and it's a pretty good like family watch i think kind of yeah so like i said i'm kind of surprised that it didn't do a lot of syndication on tv when i was picking movies on sunday evening to watch with the family
1: I will say, like, I wasn't crazy about this movie, but I'm surprised
0: I've never heard of it, and I'm surprised it didn't do better. I had already heard of Contact. I'm surprised or a little ashamed of myself that I hadn't seen it beforehand. Mm. But that's here and there or there. That's for a later discussion in our deep dive. Well, Blake, there's plenty more to be ashamed about. Like <laughs> <laughs>
1: True. Hey oh. All right.
0: <laughs> any any other ideas when to watch?
1: Yeah, I'd say this is more of an afternoon watch for me. Yeah. It's not like a like a horror or like a thriller. It's more of a it's wholesome. It's charming. It's not a big you know No, yeah, it's not a big blockbuster, right? Like It's not really a late Yeah, it's not really a blockbuster and it's it's not gonna draw intense emotions out of you. Well it's not gonna draw intense like fear or horror or suspense out of you. Right. So yeah.
0: Yeah, it's something to quietly ponder.
1: Quietly ponder. <laughs>
0: <laughs> where to Watch right now, it's streaming on the MGM channel, which has a free week-long subscription, not even a month-long subscription. What do you do on MGM channel? Yeah, come on, guys. But, uh, you know, I, I did the free subscription, and it was pretty good quality, so. There you I go. No complaints. Guess where I watched it? YouTube, as always. Yep rented it (laughs) nice yeah and that's it for our spoiler free discussion of contact i'm really excited to talk about this movie in spoiler full details uh there's a lot of interesting thoughts and ideas in this film and and i think we're gonna have a lot of fun dissecting it
1: i think we will too
0: cool yeah well then until next time don't forget to tell your dad
1: (laughs) don't forget to tell your dad (laughs) (laughs) I tell, uh, look, actually, that is kind of gonna bring it back to we're gonna bring, we're gonna bring some dad energy to next week's episode. I'll tell you what. <laughs> okay. There is this movie has quite
0: a bit of dads in it.
1: That's true. This is a father.
0: You know what? We didn't recommend it, but it's a father daughter movie. It essentially
1: is, which I actually found kind of touching when that came back around.
0: Yeah, you if know it what?
1: Ever comes back around. <laughs>
0: We didn't recommend that, but uh, that's that's not a bad idea. Nice father-daughter movie. There you go. Cool. All right. (laughs) See you next week. Look to the stars.